Always bringing uh, ages 4 through 1st grade are dismissed. Children's Church. Alright. The rest of us, y'all can uh, turn in your bulletins to our text, 1 Peter 4, 1 through 6. Or um, you can look in your, in your Bibles there. Um, First Peter four one through six. Um, continuing our look, and you know we, we looked at a pretty complex passage last week, finishing up chapter three um, again. But the point was not to be confusing. The point was to draw our to remind us of just the extent. Of God's um, of the redemption we have in Christ, of of just what He's overcome, the wrath that has been uh, paid on our behalf, that what He has brought us through to the other side, through the wrath that we that we uh, deserve, that we are in Christ, and if we're brought through, and just it's a beautiful, just gospel passage indicative of who Christ is and what He has done, and now this passage, this verse, is now we come back to a command, to the imperative. And so just to right off the bat before we read this, I want you to not divorce this command from what we heard last week, from what's previously said in First Peter. Again, this is unlike uh, one of Paul's letters where it's all the indicative, all the truth of the gospel, then at the very end there's imperative. It's, it's gospel and command and gospel and command and gospel and command all the way through. And so here we're at a at a command, as a, as a, this is, thou shalt do this. This is what you're to do. But again, hear that uh, from the point of view of God's grace and the work of Christ in you and the Spirit in you. Um, this is not a what you do to come to Christ. It's what you do as one who's been redeemed and saved by the blood of the Lamb. So let's, let's with that in mind, let's pray again and read God's Word. Gracious God, this is your word, and we pray that we would hear it and, and um, believe it and be convicted where we need to be convicted. Um, and Lord, we pray that you would, you, again, you, you supply what you require. And so, Lord, give us the, the ability uh, through our union with you, Lord Jesus, to, to obey this command and um, to know that um, you will help us. In this, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. 
The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Um, we, we read this text and the first thing it says that the, that the verb at the very beginning is arm yourselves. Arm yourselves. Um, when I read that, I was, you know, was thinking about some of our folks in the military. Um, they're, they learn, they're, you know, um, Scott, you know, has been gone through training. Uh, he, he went through basic years, you know, a year or more ago. Now he's learning how to do paperwork, he said, um, as a first lieutenant or second lieutenant, yeah. Um, he'll be first lieutenant in no time, I'm sure. Um, he's being, you know, he's he's armed himself, but he knows how to use the weapons. He knows how to use how to do combat. Um, we have Timothy Moat here, who's who's at the police academy right now, and and yes, on his precious free time, he's here in worship. Good job. Uh, and uh, he's being armed with uh, how to how to defend himself and how to use the weapons. There's there's the have you had the pepper spray to the face yet? Has he done that yet? Okay. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, it is. Anyway, um, learning how to use the taser, using how to the, you know how to fire his gun, take care of his gun properly. All that. We think about arm yourself. We think about you know that you know maybe it's the kind of movies we watch. You know, uh, when I when I think of that, there's this scene from uh, the Matrix, the first one, the good one, and um, there's a recent movie. Uh, came out a little while ago. You, if you ever thought it's like, oh, that was just a little while ago. It was twenty years ago. Anyway, um, but um, they're going to go. It's the big rescue, and they're going to go fight the the enemy. And uh, he's like, we need guns. And then all of a sudden, this virtual reality, and then like this infinite row of ammo and guns appears before them. And I was like, I think they got enough. And so, um, and they go and they you know rescue their friend. But you know, arm, when you think arm yourself again, it's the South. We think guns, don't we? Uh, but he's talking about arming ourselves uh, with the same way of thinking. So it is a pre- preparation for conflict, preparation for battle, preparation, realizing there's going to be resistance, but not with weapons, not with um, uh, you know, um, mixed martial arts, not with anything, but with a way of thinking. And uh, this way of thinking is the way... Of Christ, um, there are there are three things I want us to see in this text. We are that one. We are united with Christ in His suffering. Second, we are motivated by Christ to live for God. And thirdly, we are enabled by Christ to endure with hope. We're united with Christ in His suffering. We are motivated by Christ to live for God. And we're enabled by Christ to endure. With hope, uh, first we're united with Christ in His suffering, and that's where this first verse starts. Is this is the command? Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So we know that we're to arm ourselves with this way of thinking, and this way of thinking is a Christ-like way. I think that's evident. But, but then the, those two phrases, the first one and the second, and the last phrase of this of this uh, verse, are kind of troubling. What does it mean? Uh, if Christ suffered in the flesh, and then it says, 
whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So at first we have to go, is, that, is he claiming that because Christ suffered that he is sinless? Is that why he's sinless? And the answer to that is obviously no. That why is Christ sinless? He's sinless because he's God incarnate. He's, he's the Son. He's, he's always existed. He's perfect. He's holy, holy, holy as we've sung. He's, he's without sin. And so he, he's sinless by his nature. He's sinless in his being. There is no sin in him. And so it's not that he became sin. It's not that his suffering uh, made him sinless. Nor is this saying that if we, the more we suffer, that if you've really suffered a lot in life, that that means you're going to be sinless. Because some of you know, I can ask, raise your hand if you suffered. And we'll all raise our hands, you know, not, and we're not going to get in comparatively. There's somebody in this room that would win, okay? I don't, I don't know, and, it's, and I know a lot of your stories, and it's not me, okay? Um, but what does this mean? It's like suffering equals sinlessness. Well, what is it talking about? It's, it's really saying, it's really getting at the suffering of Christ. Kind of the, the capital S suffering. What did Christ suffer? What, what is it that He did that was unique to our suffering? It's, he suffered on the cross. He died. He suffered. He submitted Himself... Um, to death, even death on the cross, according to Philippians 2. He's, that was his suffering. It's Christ's suffering, it's his death that changed our relationship, our involvement with sin. It's not about suffering, general suffering in a fallen world that brings about the ceasing of sin. It's not that we can do that. It's not even that Christ Christ came as the sinless one and died in our place and in his suffering he dealt with sin and we being united with him have died to sin he's really saying first peter's saying what what paul said in romans 6 if you want to turn there please romans 6 8 through 12 it says now if we have died with christ we believe that we will also live with him we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Again, he, when he says he died to sin, does it mean he died for his sins? He died to what? For, to, to sin. He became sin. He took on the, the, the guilt and the, of our sin and he died to that. He dealt with it. It's finished. Verse 11 of Romans 6. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. And, and that's, that's really it's, it's a parallel text here in 1 Peter. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking. Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Verse 2, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. See, this first point is that if, if, we've, if we're united to Christ by faith, by grace through faith, then we have with Christ, in His death, in His suffering, we have died to sin. It no longer has dominion. It no longer has a power. We're no longer, as he says elsewhere, Paul says elsewhere in Romans, we're no longer slaves to it. 
that our, our involvement, our relationship to, to our flesh, to our passions, to sin has changed once we become new creations in Christ. Now, am I saying that we cease to sin? No. But we cease to be slaves to sin and we cease to be identified with our sin. That's not our identity anymore. Our identity is new creations, righteous in Christ Jesus. So we are united with Him in His suffering. So this isn't talking about general suffering. It's not that you and I could suffer enough that we'll just stop sinning. But we who are in Christ, united to His suffering, we have ceased to sin. And now we're able to do what? To live for the rest of the time in the flesh... As long as we're living, you know, living, breathing on this side of glory, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Again, we, we can now uh, are able to say no to those human passions, to those, to that, to those sinful uh, thoughts, to temptation. We can have the ability in Christ to run away from it. And for, and, and for really the only what, this is something only Christians can do. We can obey and live for the will of God. Again, I, I, this is something that he's talked about before in this, in this book. Something we've talked about many times. Again, realize that as a Christian, it's like having a superpower. Kids, I've used this illustration before. I hope you remember it again. It's for the Christian, only the Christian has free will. That's kind of a buzzword. That's kind of one of those things we Presbyterians you know, like to talk about. What is free will... The way it's talked about freedom of the will is not I am an autonomous being in and of myself even before I'm a Christian. No, according to the Scriptures, according to Romans 3, it's the unbeliever is a slave to sin. That they can do nothing but rebel. But now, Apart from the law, through faith, righteousness is revealed. And now, in Christ, saved by Christ, now the Christian, his will is free. He has the ability to sin and now the ability to not sin. And he's saying, this is who you are now. Arm yourselves with this way of thinking. And what does that mean? How do we understand this arming? It's remember who you are. Now, why do you have to arm yourself? Why do you have to like, think about arm yourself? You're, again, another parallel passage is putting on the armor of God. Remember that? Paul says this, you know, doing the Christian life is like gearing up. Gearing up for battle. Arm yourself. You know, uh, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the sword of the Spirit. The gospel of peace on your feet. The, the breastplate of righteousness. You're, what, do you, what does all that mean? You're, you're, you're remembering, you're adorning yourself with the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of who you are in Christ. And if you're honest, if you're, if you're, when you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with, think about the besetting sin, the, 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 the things that you just go, Lord, surely He's going to get tired of me. Surely He's going to stop forgiving me. When you, those are your besetting sins. Those are the ones that you keep struggling with. But think about the, the pattern of sin. When you get caught in a pattern of sin, and, and, and again, know what I'm saying here. I'm talking to a lot of people who are 
we're all professing Christians, but I, I do know you sin. Uh, I, I still sin. I still struggle with sin. But if you're honest, the thing that gets you that where you maybe in that pattern is that you you start thinking that that's who I am, that I am my sin, that I'm stuck. But I can't be nothing else. And, and really what he's saying, like, remember, arm yourself with, with the gospel. Arm yourself with that, the armor of, of, of Ephesians 6. Arm yourself with the reality of who you really are and who Christ really is. And that He didn't save you then to kind of leave you on your, on your own, or powerless against sin. He's actually at work in the Spirit and says, that's not your relationship with sin any longer. And you've got to gear up every day. You've got to put it on. Again, another way of saying, preach the gospel to yourself. This is not who I am. Hey, Christian, you're not the sum total of your sin. Christian, you're not the sum total of your failures. This is who you are. Gear up. (laughs) Gear up with this way of thinking about yourself and also about sin. So, we're united with Christ in the suffering. And then also, number two, we're motivated by Christ to live for God. So, He gives us this command, but then He gives us motivations. There's two motivations for, to think this way. Okay, motivation enough, it's a command from the apostle. It, remember the gospel. But, but why are we fighting against these, these human passions? Why are we, are we remembering who we are? Look, well, first, the first one is this. Look. Read verse 3. For the time, is past, the time that is past suffices, suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passion, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry, with respect. Oh, well, anyway, stop there. Look, look, at that, look at that list. Look at that list. You know, we're very, we're very tempted to, to, to look at the news, the world, and go, this is the worst it's ever been. But look at this. Peter, this isn't prophecy. <laughs> it's not pro- he's not being prophetic. You know, one day we'll live in a non-Christian nation. No. <laughs> he's living in Rome. He's living where every city has its own has its own idols and own gods and goddesses, where there's there's temple prostitution, where there's just rampant sensuality. Like all this stuff you read, and I'm not going to go and define it all. That's a those are conversations for parents, right? But I'm not going to define everything. But look, look at this. You read this and you go, this is what's wrong with our country today. Is this kind of living. But this is how it was in the first century. And by the way, that's how it was thousands of years ago before the flood. This is just the symptoms of broken humanity. Of trying to find meaning and joy and peace and, and, and just... Deciding good and evil. Knowing good and evil for themselves. That's what it is. That's, that goes back to the garden. You can know good and evil. You can decide. You don't need God. You, you, he's trying to, keep you from, trying to keep you from being like Him. He's holding out on you. No, He made us. He's the only one that can know and decide what's right and wrong. But it is our, because of our sin, we want to decide. We want to say what, what is wrong you say this is wrong, no, I say it's right. And again, we live in a world where it's completely sensuality and passions just dominate everything. People seeking to escape reality through entertainment, 
through too much drink, through drugs. It's, it's, it's the same. Read Romans 1. It's talking about, you see it there as well, just the, what, what, how he characterizes unbelief and unrighteousness among the pagans and the Gentiles. Read, read 1 Corinthians 5-6, through 6, and that's new, new converts in Corinth, a very uh, debased place. And there's, he talks about the sin that's in the church because these are new converts. Again, it's, it's all there. So what's his point? What's the motivation? He says, well, live for the, you know, we're set free through Christ to, to, to live for the will of God. And by the way, that old way of living is just a waste of time. That's, that's what he says. That's essentially what it is. It's a waste. It's a waste. You've wasted, and essentially, you've wasted enough time living for yourself, living in rebellion against God. Why would you go back? And that, that, makes, that resonates with us, right? Because we're all about, especially as Americans, we're all about efficient use of time. We're busy, we've got to get things done, we're doing things. You know? You've got a project, you're, you're building something. Would you take time to, after you spent months building it, to then spend time taking it apart? There's nothing wrong with it. You know? If you're a student and you're writing a paper, and you spent... Well, I was going to say two weeks. I don't think any student spends two weeks on a paper. If you spent that, that, all, that, that, that one night, you spent that eight hours from midnight to 8 a.m. and then just go, you know what, I'm just going to delete it. I'm going to undo it. Um, it doesn't make sense. And you don't undo your salvation, is what I'm saying. But it's like, what, why would you... You tried doing something that, was, that wasn't working, that only brought death, that only made you feel empty and, 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 and alienated from God and further away from people, less like a human being, and you lived that way and you felt that way. Why, why now that you're in Christ, why would you do that? Why is there an area, why as a Christian is there still an area of your life where you go, no, not your will, my will? If there are areas where you realize, if you've said, I need Jesus to save me from my sins, but yet there's still sin in your life that you're going, no, that's mine, that's my precious, that's what I'll, no, I'm going to keep doing that. He's going, why? And I, I'm making a very logical argument, as he's making, but I, I know why. It's because we're still broken. And, and we're in conflict. And we go back to Romans 7, and we, and we see that it's, what, it's, we're renewed in Christ, but our passions, our sin is still waging war with the Spirit within us. And it's difficult and it's hard, but, but, but you need to have this way of thinking. You need to arm yourself with this way of thinking that to go back to the former ways is just a waste. And completely out of character with who you are in Jesus. That's not who I am. That's not moving me toward God. That's not moving me toward one another. That's not... No, it's, it's, it's just a waste of time. Leave it in the past. Leave it in the past. That's what Paul, Paul in Philippians, he says something similar to this, doesn't he? Not that I've already obtained this. He's talking about perfection. Or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. 
Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me His own. This former way of life is completely at odds with Jesus. Can't do it. Waste of time. Waste of your new life in Christ. The second motivation is that those who persecute you, the enemies, that you will face them, they will ridicule you. What, what's going to happen? They will be judged. The wicked will be judged. That's, if that's not a motivation, I don't know what is. <laughs> Look what it says. The, with respect to this, they, will, they are surprised when you do not join them. In the same flood of debauchery, and they will malign you. I don't know, maybe this happens still for some of us in, in, in your jobs. Some of you may work jobs where you're surrounded by unbelievers and you hear that and they make fun of you, make light of you, question your toughness, question your manhood. I don't know, guys. Students, you know, I remember high school, middle school, this was very much the case, college. You know, why aren't you having fun? Why aren't you doing whatever we're doing? Why, why, you know, what's wrong with you? And the struggle is there's part of you who wants to take, there's still that fleshly part of you that wants to take part in these things. That, that wants, to, wants to buy into it. That maybe they, they look like they're having a lot of fun. And I don't like feeling like an outsider. I don't like feeling like I'm all alone. I don't like feeling like I don't belong. But again, Christian, we don't belong in this world. You know you're living for Christ when you do feel like you're a stranger and an alien. Like, and if you don't, then there's a problem. <laughs> you shouldn't feel that way when you walk into these doors. You shouldn't feel that way with brothers and sisters in Christ. But as, as a Christian, you should feel that way. He says, be ready for it. Expect it. Jesus says, the world will hate you. Why? Because they hate me. That's what he says. But what does it say after that? But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. There is judgment. And, 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 and that's, again, I'm not saying as a Christian, if you are in Christ, if you are prophetic, we don't look at God and fear his, you know, he's going to change his mind and he's going to smite me. No, that's not what it's saying. Not that kind of fear. But a reverent awe of the fact that this is the God who by all rights, according to what I deserve, should reject me. And would, if not for, the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Not for the fact that He decided that I would be His and He would pay for my sins. If not for that, yes, I would be counted among the reprobate, the damned. And for those who seem to be living life well, without any regard, they're, 
they know good and evil on their own. They decide what's right and wrong for them and nothing touches them. Here's the thing. You've got to remember. Here's what Peter's saying. Remember, Jesus is going to come and vindicate His people and bring judgment and condemnation on His and our enemies. Do not, do not buy into this present, what it looks like now. Do not think that sin will always go unpunished. It is by the grace of God that He, that he is patient and waits until all His people will come to Him. But it will happen. There will be judgment and there will be vindication. Arm yourself with that knowledge. Remember that. You will be tempted to go back. Tempted to waste your time. To waste your new life in Christ. You'll be tempted to go along with those who malign you. Because you don't like that. You don't want to be ridiculed. You don't want to be persecuted. You don't want to be cast out. But you are a stranger. And you're secure in Christ. He will judge them. If you're an enemy of Christ and His church, this should bring dread. If you're a Christian, this should bring you great comfort. But if you're just a Christian by professing only, if it's just by name only, if your life is no different and you're living in the way that all the Gentiles, all the unbelievers do, if there's no difference, if you just kind of clock in at church and then spend the rest of the time as though Christ has no bearing on your life, then this should be very concerning to you. But for the Christian, it's of great comfort. It's motivation. Heed this command because, one, it's no longer who you are. You're no longer identified by sin. It's a waste of your new life in Christ. And second, there is judgment for all His and our enemies. And finally, the third point, we are enabled by Christ to endure with hope. That brings us to this last verse, verse verse 6. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who were dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the way the Spirit does. Again, this is one of those kind of similar to the previous passage. Who were the who are the dead? Is it talking about the spiritually dead? Is it talking about a, like an unbelief? Well, he's just referenced in verse five that he, can, he was ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who were dead. So clearly in verse 5, the dead refer to those who were, who were literally dead. They've, they've, their bodies have died. Their souls have separated from their bodies. That's what happens in death. But what does he mean by dead? Um, he means those who have... I'm convinced he's talking about those who are Christians who have died. Those who heard the gospel, heard the proclamation of of the good news of Jesus Christ and have now believed but have now died through persecution, through natural means, through natural death, uh, natural causes. But the gospel was preached and heard by those who are now 
dead. Again, this was a, a, a thing. You remember, we, we understand this. We take great comfort in the fact that those who, whose souls, if you've died before the coming of Christ, you know you're, you're, that doesn't mean that you're without hope. But for the first century Christians who were just hearing this, they're going, Christ is coming, He's coming soon, and you trust, put your trust in Him. And, and then we see people that believe, and then they pass away, and they go, well, what's the problem? And, and Paul has to address this with the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians. He goes, those who have he says, I want you just to be assured that those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, they will be the first to meet Jesus when He comes again. That they'll be the, the first of the resurrection. We, we who are left will be brought up with them and meet, meet Him in the air. And, and what he's saying is, yes, there's persecution. Yes, there's maligning. Yes, there are people that reject you and you will suffer at their hands. But again, they will be judged. And what's true for the Christian, those who have died in Christ, that though they have been judged in the flesh by the, the way people are, They've been judged by the Roman government, judged by the synagogue, judged by the Jewish leaders. They've been judged wrongly. They might live in the Spirit the way God does. Again, this is another way of saying those who are absent from the body are present with the Lord. They have been, though, though Christ hasn't come again in His second coming, they are now redeemed and their souls or their spirits are with Christ and those spirits are sinless and await His second coming. They live as God does, knowing who they really are, knowing who God really is, knowing not only with just a hope in the gospel, but, a, but with their own, by, by sight, uh, knowing that they, that they have been uh, redeemed of the Lord and are safe in Him as they wait for His second coming in the heavenly realm. That is what it's saying. That is what it means. And that is our hope. We're enabled by Christ to endure with hope. That is our destination. That though we suffer, though we're maligned, though we may even die as a result of injustice, as a result of us being Christians, that we will live in the Spirit the way God does. And that we who are with God in the Spirit when He comes again will be reunited with our bodies, that our bodies will be resurrected and glorified and we will be body and soul together with Christ forever and ever. That is the hope we have. So arm yourself. Put all this on. Remember these things. Remember when you're tempted to go back and live like the old days. Remember that that just was a road to death. Remember that all that did was alienate you from God and from other people. Don't waste your new life in Christ. Remember who you are. Remember that now you're able to fight against temptation and, and can live a life for Christ. Remember that that you have hope, hope beyond even this life, hope beyond death. And that we'll be made to live the way God does by the Spirit. Arm yourself with these things. And help each other. Remind one another of this, this truth. 
You know, we, we talk about that all the time. You know, I'm, I, I mentioned this morning about, you know, in, in the prayer that we are, we're saved individually, but we're also saved corporately. And so as I, I speak this to, 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 to you, I hope you hear this individually, but I also want you to realize that we, we have an obligation to help each other in this area. And again, what, how does Peter say we should do it? With gentleness and humility and kindness. We can remind each other of these commands of the Lord. Remind us of, of, of the gospel that's behind it. Of the indicative that's behind the imperative. And encourage one another with these things. Because when we leave this room, we go out and we face these things. We face temptations. We face the opposition of the world. We feel like strangers and aliens. That's why it's so important for, for y'all, for you to, to know the person on this side of the room. And you to know the person in the back of the room. To, to realize that this is, that we're together in this. And it's hard. And, and there are temptations we face when we have gray hairs. There are temptations we face when we are young. And we need the old to encourage the young. And the young to encourage the old. And, and, to give, and we need objectivity from one another. We need to bring the gospel to bear. You know, when you think about the armor of God, you know, when you think about that, it's hard to put all that armor on by yourself. And I, I may be a little, I might maybe stretching a little bit with that, but, but that's what I'm doing right now, right? Like I'm, I'm doing that for you as, as your as your pastor. I'm I'm I'm, re, I'm reminding you of this word, of this truth. Y'all help remind me. Let's help remind each other of how we're to be armed with this mind of Christ that we're united with Him in His suffering. And it's completely changed our relationship to sin, our relationship to this world. And we're completely secure in Him. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank You for this, Your Word. We pray that we would um, not forget these truths, but be armed with them. Lord, Holy Spirit, bring this Word to bear in our lives. And uh, help us to fight this good fight of faith. And help us to forget what lies behind and strain strain toward what's ahead, looking forward to eternal life with you and of growing and becoming more and more like you. May that reality just influence our our behavior and, and give us power over the setting sins. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Um, if you would look at your bulletin, I, we have a new entry there under the Lord's Supper, and this is a quote from um, John Calvin from Institutes of the Christian Religion. He says this about the Lord's Supper. He says, Surely the devil could find no speedier means of destroying men than by so maddening them that they could not taste and savor this food with which their most gracious Heavenly Father had willed them to feed, to feed them. In order, therefore, not to rush headlong into such ruin, let us remember that this sacred feast is medicine for the sick, solace for sinners, alms to the poor, but would bring no benefit to the healthy, righteous, and rich, if such could be found. This is not a meal for... Um, if, you are, if, you, if you feel convicted, if you know your sin, if you're struggling with, am I worthy of this table? Am I worthy of the love of Christ? If you're thinking that, then good. But don't stop there. Recognize that He came because you're not. That's why it's called grace. And... Calvin's writing in a time where there were people that were being told that they're not worthy to come because there's sin in their life. They're not worthy to come because they're not priests. Or they weren't ordained the right way. He's saying, no, that's the worst thing. And it's from the devil. If there's an accuse, accusatory spirit, if there's somebody, if it's like, I, I can't come because I'm a sinner. No, you come because you're a sinner. You come because you're a sinner who needs grace, who needs Jesus. Again, brothers and sisters, come to this sacred feast because it's medicine for the sick, solace for sinners, alms to the poor. And that's who we are. So Christians, come if you're, if you're not in Christ. If, if you think that you are healthy, righteous, and rich, and without need of Jesus, this table's not for you. If you're looking to some other source of comfort and peace besides Jesus, this table is not for you. But consider that what well, you heard this morning, consider the Word of God that says um, that He came and suffered not just to be a model for suffering, but to suffer ultimately, to die on the cross, to completely pay for your sins and bring you to and restore you to your Creator. That's the gospel. That's the truth. We want you to believe this. We hope you will. Please come talk to us if you have questions. But for you, for those in Christ, those who are sick, who are sinners, who are poor and needy, come and feed on Christ by faith.
the night in which Christ was betrayed, he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. As I'm ministering in his name, give this bread to you. He said, take and eat. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and after giving thanks, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from it, all of you. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the, the, um, the privilege of joining together as your body in worship to be reminded of who we are, to be armed with the truth. We thank you for this meal and that it is for those of us who recognize our sinfulness and recognize our besetting sins and recognize our deep, deep need of your grace, of your mercy. And we give you thanks for we have received it through, um, through Christ our Good Shepherd, our Redeemer, uh, the Lamb who was slain. Well, Lord, we give you thanks that we can, um, we can find rest and solace and, and hope for the future as we know that we are yours and you are at work completing the good work you began. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that all this is true and that we live in your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.